Chapter 16 The Red Flags Are Waving Enter the Flood, the Murder, the Fully Grown Mountain Dog, and the Suicide. It had drizzled all day. I was watching the weather closely because I was flying to London in the morning. The reports warned that we were due for a lot of rain over the next few days, and I wanted to make sure that my plane could get out. The Reggio Airport was small, and they often grounded planes in bad weather. My property agent had called and told me to get to London as soon as possible. The reason had something to do with a strange ordinance that required major repairs to my flat. My tenant had to be put in a hotel. I had to arrange workers, permits, and possibly even waiver signatures from the Soho Council. She said, I'm sorry, but you have to be present. We have no choice in the matter. Memories of the call to the psychic came flooding in. What did she say? I wish I had written it down. It has taken all of these years, almost half of a century, to realise that the big planner in the sky does send red flags to tell you that you are going the wrong way. Call it a message from the gods or guardian angels or the universe, but when they come, it's time to take stock and change tack. I didn't do that. I didn't know about signs back then. In Britain, we say, keep calm and carry on. And that was my subconscious motto. A lot of people in England aspire to it and often have some success with it to get through life. But when you don't see signs and you keep trying to make the most out of a bad thing, the gods have to pile it on. The night before the flight, Matteo and I went to Alvaro's one last time because it was my favourite place. Afterwards, we piled into the house a bit tipsy and propped open a window so we could hear the ocean. The surf was unusually loud, but that always happens before a storm. It sounded beautiful. We fell asleep listening to the rain and the surf. I was going to miss this. The morning of the flight, Matteo drove me with Toto to Reggio. Windshields flapping and surf rolling. I couldn't help thinking that they were in for some heavy weather. Matteo planned to stay at my place and take care of Toto. Once at the Reggio airport, I was full of concern. I shook it off and kissed Matteo. I leaned down and tossed little Toto's ears. Be good, I said, and was off. Our plan was that Matteo would keep Toto at my place while I was gone. He said he would deal with the ticketing of my car and keep things nice. It seemed that we had it sorted, but then the gods literally opened the floodgates. When I arrived in London, the television showed storm images moving to Italy. But I had to shift focus. I was in London now with mountains of issues to solve. One morning, I was grabbing a coffee before heading to the permit office. As I walked down the street, coffee in hand, I saw a newspaper left on a cafe table. I never do that anymore. Usually the phone tells me the news. Headlines from Calabria read... 200 rescued from floods in Calabria after 450 millimetres of rain in two days. I stood reading it while the coffee cup burned my fingers. It felt like a sign that was trying to scorch my skin to get attention. Oh no. I called Matteo. How are you? What is happening? He was in a panic. Oh, Katie, my family has big problems. My father is too old and he's shoveling mud. He cannot do it. I have to help. Little Toto is tied up to be safe. Feeling helpless, I assure him, Matteo, give Toto to Glenda to take care of her. Don't worry. Matteo didn't need any added responsibility. This dog was becoming the centre of every conversation, even in the face of the most dramatic flood in 60 years. It turns out that the entire town was so flooded that people were using boats to get from one house to another. 
Italian news reports showed workers wading through muddy water, carrying personal items out of houses, manning pumps, shoveling rocks and mud from barns. The locals operated Caterpillar equipment and struggled to open roads and made sandbags to hold back the ocean waves from entering houses. Most unfortunate was that Matteo's father, who had been up all night digging mud out of his house, suffered a heart incident and Matteo had to rush him to the hospital. Tragically, a hillside of boulders and mud came crashing down and both livestock and 90 of his pigs were lost. Matteo's sense of family responsibility was burning full force. His mother and siblings looked to him to save them all. I did call Glenda, who picked up Toto. I could do nothing from London but watch the reports and await news. I couldn't call Matteo unless he called me with updates. He had to focus on their family. I kept thinking that our dream of being together was just some childish desire of ours. The gruesome reality was that things in their world needed to be made right, and that was all Matteo would be able to do for the unforeseeable future. I took care of my London flat and eventually was able to head home to Italy. You'll notice that I called it home this time, because it was where my heart was. I was away for two months. When I arrived, having rented a vehicle at the airport, I was met by a barricade on the road that led to my house. The ocean had washed out the access road during the storm. I could see my place, but a significant barrier of sand between us meant that I had to carry my things past the cactuses and over the railroad tracks. Everything at the oasis looked as if it was put back together. As I passed the residence next to ours, there were stains from mud three feet high on the walls. I was perplexed how Roxy was able to secure funding almost immediately to get the oasis put back together. Apologies were due and I knew it. She was really a capable project manager. Incredibly, those who returned for the summer were not able to see the damage that was put right by the board. I ate humble pie for quite a while until I found out how that miracle was accomplished. A federal mandate came through due to the rest of the owner and a lawyer was assigned to oversee the Oasis administrative activities. It was the new leadership and not Roxy who was responsible for acquiring the funds and manpower. Roxy was only a mouthpiece now for a more powerful dictator, a lawyer named Octavia Vatore. After the flood, there were so many locals vying for power and money, we would hear about activities that seemed outrageous even in a big city. Apparently, Octavia knew how to compete in this arena and was able to strong-arm when she needed to. And strong-arming was the only game in town. I was exhausted, lugging my bags across the tracks, so I went right to bed. I would gather Toto, call Matteo in the morning. Since I was back a week early, I had planned to surprise him and take him back to Alvaro's for dinner. It was what we did when one of us was stressed. The next morning, I opened my front door and saw the Swedish DJ loading his things into his car. Apparently, he was heading home. He had enough since the flood. Ah, oh, Katie, did you hear? Hear what? I said, thinking I was going to hear what Elisabetta had been up to since I was gone. There was a shooting at Alvaro's last night. It was Vigente Acasto. They killed him right on the front door. My head was swimming. I had so many questions. What on earth is going on in this place? I had to see Matteo, had to get Toto, had to figure out how to get my apartment with my car. And now they are gunning people down at family restaurants. I wanted to run, but that's not what I did. Why, I said, I would start with that for now. 
He went on. I learned that Vashante, the victim, was the owner of a tractor company. He was making a hefty profit because of the flood. Remember the person who kept Tally outside of the shop in town? Apparently, Vicente threatened the Tally guy, assigned to watch his business. He was shot after attending a party for his wife's sister's husband's birthday last night. He was full of details that he had gathered from various neighbours and locals. He then finished with the corker. The cheesewoman in the supermarket said that she heard that Vicente held the Tally guy off a balcony over a raging river and that was the reason he had to be dealt with. We both shook our heads. Can you believe this place? One thing after another, he said, and proceeded to his car. As he drove away, I realized that I was going to miss him. I couldn't help feeling that his dream was over. He just couldn't keep it up. I understood. I really did. As the story got around, the consensus was that no one really believed that Vicente was an innocent. The Irish started talking about the elves again. After the flood and then after this news, I felt for the business owners who would have to fight their way back to keep business open. Perhaps I would call Mateo and try and bring Alvaro some business. I just didn't know if I was willing to risk my life for that. I had to get my life on track. I walked up to Glenda's to retrieve my dog and see if she knew how we were to drive to our place now that the road was barricaded. Glenda opened the door, surprised to see me. Oh my! I didn't know you'd be back so soon. I was going to explain the closed road so you could get in. She explained that the storm took out the road by the beach, but then said, We cleared a lot of the sand and managed to create a throughway to the driveway. Just push the barricades aside and replace them behind you, she said. I was willing to give it a try. I hope that will be temporary, I said. She said, Me too. Talking to her about the facility upkeep was futile. She had no power to get anything done anymore. How about my little Toto, I said. Roxy has Toto this week. It's her turn. And she smiled. My mouth dropped. Her turn? Yes, Toto loves her and often escaped my place to go see her. So we agreed to share her. Utterly flabbergasted, I think. I said all right, but I just walked away. I knocked on Roxy's door. When she opened it, she was still in her robe and seemed disoriented. Ah, Katie, she said. Yes, I'm back a little early. I understand that you have Toto. I looked past her into the place to see if I could see Toto maybe chewing a toy. The place was dark with the shades drawn. Oh, we didn't expect you quite yet. We sent Toto to a farm to help a family. Since the flood, so many people needed help and Toto was so pent up here in my place. She's got so big. Just then, a handsome but much older man came out from the other room. This is my husband, Barrett, she said, and introduced him. He had a very grim presence, but seemed to look me up and down. I wanted to button my blouse up another button. I was outraged, but she looked so terrible. I wasn't sure if she was well enough to take the brunt of my anger, and I didn't know this man. I don't think sending her to another family was quite the plan, I said. Oh, it's nothing like that. Glenda and I were sharing the duties. We would trade off walking her, you know, but we thought she might also like to stretch her legs on a farm and get to practice some herding. Practice herding? What were these nutters thinking? A dog needs to know who their own is at the very least. Originally, I was worried that she might bond with Glenda and eventually that would be overcome. But this confusing plan was really going to mess her up. Well, I'm back now and like to have her. If you let me know where the farm is, I'll go get her. She glanced at her husband. 
It felt like he was disapproving. I'll take you, she said meekly. Let me get dressed and I'll pick you up. Then she closed the door. That was weird. But the weirdest was yet to come. When they showed up at my place, the husband was driving. Roxy sat next to him, looking like he had her neatly under his thumb. It felt as if they had had a bite about her going alone. Any strength of character that she might have possessed seemed to have drained away in his presence. I felt sorry for her. Is he staying, I thought. I leaned into Roxy's car window. She rolled it down only a couple of inches to hear me. I'll follow you, so I could put Toto in my car. I followed as they led me along muddy roads to an even muddier farm. An enormous dirt-stained white dog was shepherding goats. What a transformation! I thought I was only gone for two months. But then following the goats and nipping at their ankles was my happy, but not quite as big, Toto. All the animals were a mess. Roxy and I got out of the car to meet the owner of the farm. My shoes gathered sticky mud as I walked. I looked around. The farm was nice, but you could see that the rains, flood, and subsequent re-terracing with a digger ensured that farming would not be happening this year. I thought about Matteo and his family. A friendly woman stepped out on the porch. She wore a skirt, leggings, boots, and a sweatshirt with a large Gap logo. It was odd thinking of the Gap right now. She embraced Roxy and they spoke in Calabrian. Barrett stayed in the car the entire time. The woman waved to him and he waved back reservedly. She then yelled something like, Pekka! and blew a whistle. <whistles> and Toto came over to her. She put a leash made of leather on her. I wonder where her jeweled leash went. Roxy explained that farmers use whistles to control mountain dogs. Okay, I thought, but she's my pet, not a shepherd. Toto did grow. By most standards, she looked like a fully grown dog, but she was going to double in size before she was done. I could see by the other dog that she would eventually completely fill the back seat of my car. Toto acted happy to see Roxy and didn't seem to know me at all. I chanted to myself, keep calm and carry on. I thanked them both for taking care of her, though that is not what I wanted to say and led her to my car. My muddy teenager jumped into the back seat. She spun around and around, making a muddy mess of the towels and blanket that I brought to wipe her off. I found an old plastic bag to hold my muddy shoes before I got in. In my stocking feet, I pulled out of their property. My mind started to take it all in. I felt like I had taken someone's dog away from them. My throat welled up as she looked out the window. Hi, girl, I said through my teary eyes. What was I doing? We'll have to start over. I could only fume in my anger and emotional exhaustion as I followed Roxy and her husband down the mountain with my stocking feet and muddy dog. I had to see Matteo. I waved Roxy and her creepy husband off as I turned into town. They continued back to the Oasis of the Gods in their red BMW. I took a moment to imagine what it must be like to be in that car. I had felt that oppression in previous relationships. Won't let that happen again, I thought. It felt exhilaration that my romantic partner was somewhere out there waiting and happy to embrace me and welcome me home. I hope so, anyway. I tried to call, but the phone wasn't working. I continued on to see if he might be at the restaurant. When I arrived at the restaurant, the door was closed. I still approached it. Please be there, Matteo, I kept thinking. You have to be there, please. The door opened. When I entered, it was dark but behind the counter, I saw someone. When she looked up, I recognised that it was Matteo's sister. Oh, Isabella, I said. 
Katie, she exclaimed, and then started rattling off Italian so fast that I only gathered that she needed someone to talk to. Then Matteo came out from the back. Katie, bellissima, he rushed to me and kissed me. I said he was passionate and he needed me after all of his effort to bring the family together. As for me, after that long trip and an experience like I had, that day I was taken in by that kiss and Matteo's full and accepting embrace. I never wanted to let go. Too bad his sister was there. He pulled back and took me in. I was in my stocking feet. We laughed. Come, come. He had lost his English and I sure couldn't remember the Italian that he taught me. I led him out to see Toto in the car. Che cane fangoso! Fangoso! Muddy. That was a word I used a lot that night. We went to my place and Matteo helped me clean Toto up in the shower. The only problem was that Toto blamed him thereafter for the traumatic experience of the shower. When Matteo would come in the house, Toto would growl right off. She eventually would settle down around him if he stayed for a while and he convinced Toto that no bath was forthcoming. It was never the same with Toto. The most significant change was that the herding practice turned into the habit of herding Matteo or I into corners. Small closets, anywhere that Toto thought to be a holding pen. When she got into the mood, she would bark, poke our ankles with her front paws, and then nip at our feet until we moved. It was a nightmare existence. I'd yell, no, and even try to yell, Pekka, and blow a whistle. The whistle worked, but when the Danish were in town, they asked me not to use it for obvious reasons. I have always blamed Glendon and Roxy, the nutters, for ruining my dog. Summer was here and people were arriving again. It was a mix of Russians, Danish, English, Irish, Swedes and Canadians. And it was heartening to see the dark green shutters over the windows rolled up again. Potted plants began to appear on front porches. Both Roxy and Glenda planned events. Often the split into factions was obvious. If you had gone to one of Roxy's parties, you'd better not show up at Glenda's competing party, and vice versa, or else passive aggression would overtake you. The Danish and the Irish and I would gather on the beach together like before, avoiding the organised affairs. It was easier that way. One beautiful day I could smell the burning wood of a beach barbecue. I decided to wander over and found that the Danish and the Irish were gathering. Grab a sandwich roll, the meat is almost ready, someone shouted to me. That's all the invitation anyone needed with them. There was no choosing sides, wondering how to dress or making note of who would be in attendance. I was so grateful for them, but I would find out that not even they could avoid the bad luck spell this place possessed. I walked closer and went to look at the waves of Johanna. She seemed thoughtful. I know now that it is always better not to ask personal questions around this place. But I innocently asked Johanna where her friend Ida was. She and her husband Dak owned the condo next to Johanna and they were always together. She told me that Ida had overdosed herself while her husband Dak was playing golf. Oh my God, I said. Yes, said Johanna. None of us knew that she was unhappy. Dak had no idea and even brought home requested items from the grocery list that night. I don't know what it is with the Danish. They are so down to earth about the trials of life that they can deliver a horrendous story like they are ordering dinner at a restaurant. I didn't know what to say. The Italians would have written an opera in her honour. She went on in her practical way. He will need a companion. He is still young, she said. The whole family came this year to comfort him 
and spend time together. I had noticed that they seemed to be stuffed the gills in their two condos. I was glad that I never told her what happened in their place between the handyman and the cleaning woman. They had been through enough. 